chapter 5. We're going to begin looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, You can also turn your phone if you like to do that. But as we kind of kick it off uh, this morning, as we were singing, actually there was a verse that started coming to mind. A passage, you know, as we study the Sermon on the Mount, let me just kind of give you kind of where I am on this. This is really a challenging passage. You know, I've studied the Sermon on the Mount before, gone through it, uh, but one of my problems is I love to read everything. And when you love to read everything and you find out that people have approached things a little bit different, you try to resolve those things. And when it comes to the Beatitudes, what we're about to get into, the blessings of Jesus, the way that the church approaches them, it's really different. It's really vast and different. So as we jump into this, I'm just kind of telling, I'm preparing you for where I am uh, as we kind of jump into this. But before we do, I want to go to a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And it's not going to be on the screen because I didn't prepare Elizabeth in the back. So Elizabeth, you're off. Don't worry about it. It's okay. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to read this for you. 1 Corinthians 1 and in verse 20 it says, and listen to these words. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through its wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man and the wisdom of God is stronger than men. Now listen to this. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful Not many of you were noble by birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that as it is written, let no one who boasts, let no one who boasts, boast, let the one who boasts, <laughs> I'm messing it up, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now hear these words. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the meek, For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful. For they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons, the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let me ask you a question. Who has the good life? 
Thanks, Renee. Renee raised her hand. <laughs> Paul says it's not those who are wise. It's not the powerful. It's not the strong. It's not the rich. It's not the talented. It's not the good looking. Those were not the ones that Jesus showed up to. He came to the poor in spirit. He came to those who were grieving devastation and loss. He came to those who were powerless. He came to the broken. He came to the immigrant. He came to the prostitute. He came to the Roman centurion. He came to a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years. She was unclean. She couldn't be in community with anyone. See, Jesus came to the outcasts. He came to the demoniacs. Demoniacs are not known for their character. He came to the Romans. You know, he came to the Greeks. He came to barbarians. He, became, he came to those who were persecuting others. He came to the broken. He came to the unjust. He came to, to the least likely people in the world so that when we would see the kingdom of God, we'd say only God could do that. See, as we jump into the Sermon on the Mount, what we're going to look at is a reversal of the world's values. What the world says is good or powerful or just or right or beautiful God says, you know, those things, they may be good, they may be powerful, but that's not the way my kingdom is going to show up in the world. So let's jump back in Matthew chapter 5, and let's look at this passage together. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to pick it up in verse, in verse 1. So seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and he sat down. His disciples came to him. And he began to teach them. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful. For they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. See, this is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Father, we declare this morning over those who are poor in spirit that they are blessed by God. Father, you declare over those who mourn, mourn because of sin or mourn because of loss, they are blessed by God. Father, you, you bless those who hunger and thirst for justice in the world to see things made right once again. Father, you, you call bless those who are merciful that move out into the world almost in silence. We, we don't even see them. We ignore them. We don't praise them. We don't rejoice in them. And yet, Father, they will be shown mercy. And Father, you, you bless those who are the pure in heart those who are authentic and gentle and humble that move out into the world with a pure desire to love others and to love you. And Father, you've blessed the peacemakers, those that want to seek reconciliation and rightness in the world. And Father, you've blessed those who have been cast out because of righteousness, because they love you.
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Would you meet us in this space? Teach us, Father, how your kingdom is, is so contrary to the way we value things. And then open our eyes to see that these people are all around us in the world. And they're, they're ready to respond to the gospel, but we have to be willing to engage them, to love them, to care for them. Teach us through this, Father, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you look back in chapter 5, verse 1, it's important. He says, seeing the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down and he began to teach them. So the question is, who are the crowds? And so if you'll turn to chapter 4, we're going to look at who Jesus is speaking to. Because in the end of chapter 4, there's this crowd of people who are gathered around Jesus and he describes who they are. So watch this. Chapter 4, verse 23. And he went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom in healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought to him, here they come, all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the the Decapolis, from Jerusalem, Judea, and all beyond the Jordan. You know, are these the kinds of people that we would call blessed? The paralytics, the sick, the broken, the outcast, the poor. You know, I imagine as these people gathered around Jesus, when Jesus started to say, blessed are... They didn't expect to hear their name. And maybe you don't either. That when you think of yourself, you see yourself as one who is maybe far from God. And yet when Jesus announced these blessings, he announced a set of values that are counter to the culture in which they lived. See, the way that Jews operated is if you had a good life, then you must be good. If you have a bad life, well, hey buddy, You've done something wrong. You must be bad. There's a story about the disciples and and Jesus. There's this man that's blind from birth. I don't know if you remember this story. He's blind from birth, and so the disciples go to Jesus. Okay, Jesus, who sinned? Who did it? Was it this guy? Must have been his parents. They must have done something wrong because no one would be blind from birth unless there was sin. Because, see, if you have a bad life, then there's something wrong with you. But if you have a good life then there must be something good with you. See, as Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount and he starts to bless people, he's not blessing the people who have a good life. He's pronouncing blessing on the people that his disciples would assume must be far from God. These aren't the kinds of people that that God is drawn to, and yet he's saying blessing is available for you. Now, what does that mean, blessing? Because that's a word that we use today. We use it when somebody sneezes. You know, we use it in, in strange, it doesn't really have the power. It's this word in the Greek that's the word makarios. He's saying makarios are the poor in spirit. And in some ways it was a salutation. When you saw someone, you'd greet them. You'd say, hey, makarios. Or maybe someone just had a child, they got a new job. You'd say makarios, blessed are you. Some translated happy, some translated fortunate. Others say Congratulations. But the idea that Jesus is using this word makarios in, he's saying, blessed are you because God is working in you, but more importantly, God is working through you. That God wants to demonstrate his presence 
and his power through your life. God is working through you. The reason you're blessed is not just because of who you are and what you've done. No, God has chosen to show up and he wants to show up through you. He wants his kingdom power, his wisdom, his might to show up in your life. See, this list of, this list of beatitudes, they're not, the ones, they're not the ones that we would expect. I think today, likewise, when we think of those that are blessed, just watch the ads. I think ads are a great place to show you who we think are blessed. Because you're not going to put a product next to some, you know, someone that doesn't look right, right? You're not going to do that. You're going to place that product next to someone that's talented or someone that's beautiful. And they got to be thin. They got to they got to look healthy. They got to look right. You know, not too thin, not too big. These are the people that we see as as blessed. And it doesn't again mean that Jesus is against those things, but this this is not where God's kingdom shows up. It's not where God makes himself known. And so as we jump into this list, the first thing I want to talk about is what this list is not. And the one thing that this list is not is it's not a list of virtues. Jesus is not saying to us, um, if you are this kind of person, you're going to be blessed. Only in America do we take scripture and we absolutely psychologize it. We turn it into a process. We turn it into a pattern that if you become this kind of person, then you'll get these kinds of things. And see, that's not the place where Jesus starts. Instead, if you look back in chapter 5 and verse 1, he says, blessed are the poor. Now, in Luke's gospel, he actually says just the poor. Now, Jesus adds the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To be poor is to have nothing. It's to be in abject poverty, have no resources to bring to the table. He adds this word in spirit, meaning spiritually you're a spiritual zero. You have nothing to offer God. You have nothing to offer the religious community. And yet, God declares blessing on you. It's not a virtue. To mourn is not a virtue. It's not necessarily a good thing. Now, someone may be mourning because of their sin, or they may be mourning because of some loss in their life. It could be a loss of a job. It could be the loss of a marriage. It could be the loss because of their own, their own mistake, their own attitude, their own action. They have lost something. They're grieving it, and they're mourning. And God is saying, hey, you're not outside of the kingdom. God wants to demonstrate his presence and his power through you. That these are not a list of virtues that we're supposed to pursue. Now, there are some virtues on this list. To be a peacemaker is, is, is a virtue. It's a good thing. It's to see reconciliation in the world. And in fact, he says, blessed are the peacemakers because they shall be called the sons of God. And see, to be a son of God means that you have something in you that's similar to God. Your character and God's character are the same when it comes to peacemaking. Now, let's back up for a minute. It's a virtue. But on the other hand, we have to think about where Israel is at this time. See, the nation of Israel in the first century is oppressed. They're under the hands of the Roman government. Their lands have been taken away. Their jobs have been taken away. They're being taxed. The life that they once valued and the things that they love, their heritage, their land, their people, all of these things are in jeopardy because an occupying army has come in. And they're absolutely uh, causing the people to suffer. Now, if you're a peacemaker and you're living in that kind of environment, and you got a, peace a peacemaker living next door, you're not going to be real happy with that guy. 
Because see, he doesn't want to see simply the Romans destroyed. He doesn't want to see just violence come in and, and to take back over the land. No, he wants to see people reconcile. A peacemaker is not welcome in a war-torn area. A peacemaker is rejected. Many of these qualities, even though they may be good in, in and of themselves, they didn't bring blessing into people's lives. These were not virtues. And so because they're not virtues, they're not commands. They're not commands of what we're supposed to do. They're not a list of commands. So, because how would you command someone to be persecuted? You know, go out there and be persecuted. Or how do you command someone to mourn? How do you command someone to be poor in spirit? These are not, they're not commands. He's not prescribing how to be blessed. Rather, what Jesus is doing is he's describing who is blessed. He's saying as the kingdom of God is coming, these are the kinds of people who are in good shape. These are the kinds of people who should celebrate and be happy. Now, if they're not a list of virtues, they're not a list of commands, then, then what are they? Well, let's think for a minute about the kind of people that responded to Jesus. If we go back to that Christmas story, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night, right? And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. Now, when we think of the shepherds, we see them as these you know, beautiful, majestic creatures in the nativity scene. And yet, in the first century, these were the, the lowest of the low in society. These were the poor in spirit. These were those that were seen as rejected because see, to be a shepherd was the kind of worst job you could possibly get. It was not high on the pursuit of people's lives. And so they assumed that shepherds were thieves. They were crooks. They were men of bad character. They stunk because they're out in the, the fields all night with sheep. And yet the angel of the Lord comes to them. Now why? Because see, God wanted to do something in them, but God wanted to do something through them. He wanted his glory to show up in them. Because this is the last person we would expect. Who's the last person we would expect God to use? It's someone like it's Mary. Now, Mary is virtuous in her humility and her love for God, and yet, in terms of the, the status of the world, she's poor. She's a peasant girl. She has no voice. She has no power. She has no position in life, and yet God comes to Mary and uses Mary and shows his kingdom and his power through her. You know, there's actually a story where um, later on we're gonna see this in, in the Gospel of Matthew, where the first person in some ways comes to faith is this Roman centurion. On the one hand, he's a Roman, so he's oppressing your people. He's a centurion, so he's a part of the invading army that's now oppressing you. So he's brutal, he's unjust, he's not kind, he's not merciful. And yet Jesus says of this Roman centurion, I have not seen faith in Israel as deep as I have seen the faith in this man. What's happening? the unexpected. The people that are responding to Jesus are not the people we expect to respond to Jesus. Rather, the ones that are responding to Jesus are all the people that no one would expect would respond. So I wonder today, as we look out into the world, who do we think won't respond? Who do we look at and say, you know what, they're too far away? Who do we tend to ignore because they don't have the qualities that add to our life? Who are those that we don't think God could show up in or God could show up through? See, what Jesus is doing is he's redefining what it means to be blessed. He's redefining 
what it looks like to have a good life. You see, in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, Jesus summarized his message this way. He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. See, if Jesus was going to summarize his message, this would be it. God's kingdom is now available. Now, God's kingdom means God's presence, God's rule and his reign. And he's saying, it's now available. Come. Now, what, is the, the, what this is, in a sense, is a summary of the gospel. When we think of the, the word gospel, it means good news. And to Jesus, this is his summary of the good news. The kingdom, entrance into God's presence, is now available today. That's how Jesus would summarize it. Now, how would the early church summarize the gospel? And here's what's interesting. As you look at your Bible, you'll find that the titles of these books, they're called Gospels, are the gospel according to Matthew. So what's the gospel? Well, it's everything that Matthew wrote. It's Jesus from Jesus' birth, the promise of his birth, his life, his miracles, his teachings, his death, his resurrection, his ascension to the right hand of God the Father, his coming home. The gospel according to Luke. The gospel according to John. The gospel, the gospel according to Mark. The gospel is the story. It's the good news of Jesus. That through Jesus, God's presence, through Jesus, God's kingdom is now available to us. But here's what we have to do. Jesus would say, we have to repent and believe. See, the order is important. First comes the blessing. First comes the blessing. Blessed are you. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the hungry. Blessed are the broken. Blessed are the, the meek. You, you know, when, when kingdoms show up to change, uh, to make changes in the world, they don't show up with the meek. They show up with tanks. When you want to get something done, you don't send in the merciful. You don't send in the pure in heart. You don't send in the peacemakers. These are not the kinds of people who get things done. But God says, no, in my kingdom, these are the kinds of people that I tend to use. And so God pronounces blessing on those who do not think God could bless them. But then he says, you've got to repent and believe. What does it mean to repent? It means to turn, to pay attention to recognize where I am, that God wants to know me. He wants to me be a part of his kingdom, and yet I've got to admit that I am sinful and I am broken, and that I need to trust and believe in the gospel. And for some of us, the next step is to be, to be baptized, to begin to live a life of following Jesus. Now, Paul would capture it this way. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. It is not the result of works, lest anyone should boast. You know, who are the people that responded to Jesus' message? If you want to turn for a minute to Matthew chapter 8, after the story of the Sermon on the Mount, we begin to see the kinds of people that begin to draw close to Jesus. And watch, just look at these titles if you have a Bible, the beginning of chapter 8, verse 1, it says that Jesus cleanses a leper. Then in chapter 8, verse 5, it talks about the faith of a centurion. These are the kinds of people who are coming and drawn to Jesus. The next story, Jesus heals Mary. 
The next story, Jesus calms a storm. He heals two men with, with demons. Chapter nine, Jesus heals a paralytic. He finally, he calls Matthew. Later on, he restores uh, the life of a girl. There's a story of a woman who's had, had this suffering. She's had this discharge of blood for 12 years, and Jesus heals her. The next story, he heals two blind men. Jesus then heals a man unable to speak. Is this a list of the kinds of people we would call blessed? And yet these are the kinds of people that God's kingdom, his power, and his blessing shows up through. What we see in this story is the way that God's kingdom comes into the world, the way that God works. It's so often very different from the way that we expect. And in a sense, what Jesus is showing us is the gospel. It's the good news. Hey, you're a paralytic. You're blessed. Hey, not because being a paralytic is a good thing, but because that condition has created an environment where you can respond to the good news of the gospel. The kingdom is here. Come on in. You're a Roman centurion. Everyone in the community hates you. They see you as a traitor. You are violent. You are vicious. The kingdom of God is here. Come on in. Repent and believe. You're a prostitute. And that wasn't a code word, guys. Prostitutes did what prostitutes do. And he says, blessed are you. The kingdom of God is here. I want you to come in. Repent and believe. Jesus welcomed the unwelcomable. He gathered the ungodly. They, they experienced his love and his kingdom, and they were changed. We see in this story, the, the Beatitudes, we see a picture of the way the church, the gospel, goes out into the world, and it changes lives. The question becomes for us, who are the people that we ignore? Again, who are the people that we don't think God could bless? It could be because of their behavior. We look at their behavior and we say, there's no way that God could work in that person's life. And often what we expect today is we don't say, hey, blessed are you. We say, hey, change your life. And if you change your life, you could be blessed. See, the order of Jesus, it's completely different. Every story he encountered, every person he encountered, he first brought the good news. He brought blessing. And he said, in blessing you and loving you and inviting you to be with me, I will change you. I will I will demonstrate my love through you. And through that, a new life will be born. The order that Jesus takes shows us the order of the gospel. God loved us, and because he loved us, we now love him. His love comes first. So we see in this story, first of all, a picture of the gospel. We also, I think, can see in this story that Jesus is radically redefining those who are blessed. Because see, this is a list that's, it's not a good list. It's not a list that necessarily we would want to pursue. It's countercultural. And in the first century, there was a book that was written 100 years before the coming of Jesus, and it's the book of Sirach. We don't have that in our Bible, but it has its own list of those it calls blessed. And I want you to, I want you to hear this list. This is Sirach chapter 25, verse 7. And this is the way that people in the first century, the people that are listening to Jesus, they would say these are the kinds of people who are blessed by God. And it starts off this way. I can think of nine whom I call blessed. A tenth my tongue proclaims. A man 
who can rejoice in his children. Now, that's not a bad start. Blessed is the man who rejoices in his children. But then watch this. Notice how it suddenly takes a turn. Blessed is the man who lives to see the downfall of his foes. So Christian, isn't it? Blessed is the one who beats the guy at a business deal. Blessed is the one who sees his enemy die before he does. Blessed is the one who wins. Blessed is the one who gloats over his enemies. In the first century, they would say, this is the man who's blessed. Now, this one isn't bad. Verse eight, happy is the man. Blessed is the man who lives with a sensible wife. But watch out, for, here, here's, here's a problem. But blessed is the one who does not plow with ox and ass together. I mean, that's a, you don't do that. Now, now, what is that referring to? It's talking about good business practices. We don't obviously plow today, but if you put an ox and an ass together, not only are the rows not gonna be straight, you're gonna destroy your equipment because the two can't pull together. And so he's saying, blessed is the one who's, a, who's good at business. They're wise. They're wise in how they use their money. Then blessed is the one who does not sin with his tongue. Now, in part, this could be not telling a lie, but as we're gonna discover, he's also saying, blessed is the one who speaks well, who's well-spoken, who holds people's intentions, uh, attention. Blessed is the one who has not served an inferior. That's the blessed life, is not having to serve someone that you do not value. Verse nine, happy is the one who finds a friend. Happy is the one who speaks to attentive listeners. You're somebody who has charisma and effect on others. Verse 10, how great is the one who finds wisdom, but none is superior to the one who fears the Lord. The fear of the Lord surpasses everything. To whom can we compare the one who has it? Now it ends pretty well. Because some of those things are good. To fear the Lord means to love the Lord, to trust the Lord, to seek the Lord. But the list that he, he puts out there, the things that they say are blessed, they're not the things that Jesus, that Jesus says are blessed. Instead, I think if we had to make our own list today, you know, our list begins with things like inalienable rights. Our list includes life, liberty. What's the good life? It's the pursuit of happiness. When we define blessing, we define it based on happiness. Now, what's happiness? You know, it comes from an old English word that means happenstance. Happiness is based on circumstances. Now, the challenge is, from the time that that document was written until today, the definition of happiness, it's changed. It's changed a lot. Imagine what happiness was like in 1776 compared to what happiness is like today. Happiness is a constant, moving target. Happiness looked like one thing when I lived in Arlington, Texas. It looked like another in Boston, Massachusetts when I lived there. It's an absolutely different thing in Evergreen and in Colorado. Each place you go to, there's a different definition. A different place, I need to conform to a new standard. I need to rise to a new set of ideals. Happiness is constantly changing. And one of the things that's happened over the last Oh, 20 years or so, is there's been a lot of studies on happiness. And here's the good or bad news, depending on, depending on how you hear this. They say 50% of happiness is based solely on your genetics. Some of you were just born happy. And we absolutely love you. <laughs> but they're saying there's not much we can do. It's based on our, it's based on, 
It's, it's who we are. Happiness, second, it's, it's based on, it's wrapped up in comparisons. The challenge with happiness is we're constantly comparing ourselves to others. We're constantly looking at what somebody else has and what I have, and we either feel like, hey, I've lived up to my expectations and so I'm happy, or maybe I haven't lived up to my expectations. I, I look at other people's marriages and they don't look like mine, or I look at other people's kids and they're not as well-behaved as mine. I, I don't have the blessed life. I'm broken, I'm poor. You know, maybe I lost the job, maybe I failed a few businesses, now things are going well. But if I had to look at my life, I wouldn't say my life was blessed. But Jesus is saying in these conditions, in these qualities, God uses them to show us who he is. Often, scripture, it equates the poor with the righteous. I don't know if you've noticed this in the Bible. It's not saying that being wealthy or having a lot is, is necessarily unrighteous, but in the Old Testament, often, instead of using the word righteous, it uses the word poor. And it will compare the poor to the unrighteous. Now, why is that? Because he has a general principle, as a general rule, those who are poor, they recognize their need for God. Why do they recognize their need for God? Because no one else is gonna help them. When you're poor in spirit and you have nothing to offer the church, nothing to offer the world, you have something to offer God. You have yourself. You have humility. You've got a heart that longs to know him and for him to show up in you. To be in that condition and for God to say, you are blessed. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those that know they've lost. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst. When it says righteousness, it could mean justice. They want to see justice in the world. They're tired of the fighting. They're tired of the divisions. They want to see justice. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Now, when we look at this list, it's maybe not the list, it's not our top 10, and it's not necessarily a list that we're supposed to pursue, but it's a sign. It's a sign that the kingdom of God is at work in the world. How do we know? Look at the ones that are responding. Look at the lives that it's changing. Look at the peace that it's bringing. The question is, is that peace in us? And are we willing to bring that peace to the world? Are we willing to approach the world the same way that Jesus approached the world? Now, he had a little bit better insight into people's lives. But the truth is the gospel is for everyone. For God so loved the good-looking, the thin, those that went to college out east. God so loved the CEO. No, so God so loved the prostitute. Look at the stories of the gospel. I encourage you this week, just go back and read the stories and look at where Jesus shows up. Look at the kinds of people he spends his time with. And if you don't see the love of God and the power of God shocking, then I think we're missing something that we are people who have a radical message that goes out into a broken world. And we get to declare that there is peace with God. Come on in. Come on in. That's all he said. Come and follow me. Be with me. Experience me. Experiencing Jesus causes us to repent, to turn, to believe, to be baptized, to change our life. The first step is just to say, world, 
Jesus Christ has come, you are blessed. Right, hear me on this, where you are. No matter what you're doing, availability in God's presence is here. Now, it's our job as the church, one, to worship, to savor, to understand that, and two, to go out into the world, to allow those who feel like they are far from God to hear the good news of the gospel, that he is near and he loves us. Let me pray for us. Father, I, I thank you for this list, and I, I just confess, Lord, that it, it, it confuses me. Father, as I, I think about these qualities and as I wrestle with what they mean and, and where you showed up, I imagine many times your own disciples were, were wondering, what is he doing eating with sinners and tax collectors? You were known as a, a glutton. <laughs> you were a drunkard. You were known as one who associated with men, with women of bad character. You were known probably by some as a Benedict Arnold, Lord, because you would go and hang out with the Romans when the hope was that you would destroy the Romans and you would crush the enemies and you would obliterate those that stood against us. And yet, Jesus, you've come so that you might destroy the dividing wall of hostility in this world. You've come to destroy the wall between Jew and Greek, male and female, slave or free. Father, you've come to destroy that which divides us and to establish your kingdom on earth. That we would pray this week even that your will would be done on earth today as it, as it is in heaven. That your kingdom values would lead us out into the world. So Father, I pray for anyone today who has not heard the good news of the gospel that through Jesus Christ, we can be accepted by God. I pray today, Father, that they'd simply cry out to you through the power of the Spirit and say, Father, accept me through Christ and Jesus Christ alone. I accept his death on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. I accept his resurrection as giving me new life to live again, Father, in your presence. And I trust that through him, Father, I have life and life with you. Father, guide us this week and help us to follow you and to love those, Father, maybe that we previously saw as unlovable. Guide us into these things we ask in Jesus' name.